I'm going to ask our friend Leah to come up. Leah Toussaint has been, yeah, come on up. Leah has been um, moved by God up to New City Fellowship at Grand Rapids, some uh, church that's in our network. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's back visiting, and so I wanted to give her the opportunity to, to read scripture. If you need to take a picture of that so you can do it during uh, the first part of the sermon, that's okay. Um, but just give it a second once we're, let's read God's word together. And um, let me pray, and then, and then we'll advance the slide and read God's word. Lord Jesus, I do thank you for the hope, the living hope that you give. We pray that this morning you would bestow that hope on us through your word. We come as people who struggle to believe, as people who are broken, as people who have both victimized others and been victimized by others. We live in a world that is beautiful but yet broken, and so we need your hope. Would you give it to us this morning? In your name we pray, amen. First Peter 1, verse three through nine. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be, be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Instead, Rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. That's 1 Peter 4, verse 12 through 13. And then 1 Peter 4, verse 19 says, So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Amen. The word of God. Last week, we covered this topic of organized religion and self-righteous people. If you missed that, that's on both Podbean and iTunes, if you want to go back and listen to it. And if you want to dialogue about that, I'd love to talk with you. Um, but today, we're dealing with these tough questions, and I'm going to ask you the questions. If God exists, and he is good, and he's powerful, then why is there suffering? 
If God exists and he's good and powerful, then why do we experience such deep pain in this world? If God exists and he's powerful, why am I suffering? Why are you suffering? These are questions that many have had, and they're deeply personal questions because everyone's trying to smile through something. Everyone's trying to smile through something. And when you go through these times of personal loss or suffering or pain, the first question we ask is, God, why? God, why? Why are you good, but the world is bad? If you're powerful, why is it so painful? If God exists and he's good, wouldn't he want to do something about all the suffering? So if he's good, he must not be powerful. Like he must care, but he's not able to do anything. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's that he's powerful, but he's not good. Like he could do something, but he just doesn't care. And so he lets things play out and he lets us sit in this world of suffering. Those are tough questions. Those are difficult questions. And because we don't have clear answers, our natural tendency when we experience suffering and evil is to back away from faith in God. Suffering and evil tends to weaken our faith as humans. But in our passage, Peter encourages us towards something very different. In the whole book of Peter, Peter is telling us, let the experience of suffering and evil strengthen your faith in God. Let it deepen your trust in God. And I admit it seems backwards to say, so I want to back even further up. Before we ask the question, is God good and is he powerful, let's just ask the question, if God exists. Because many people say, because of the presence of suffering in this world, God must not exist. And that seems a little bit like a trump card, right? He must not exist if the world is as bad as it is. But even if you abandon belief in God because of that hang-up, you still have another hang-up. You still have another problem. Tim Keller points out that if you say God doesn't exist because of evil and suffering, you can no longer evaluate it as evil and suffering. Your evaluation of evil and suffering is just your evaluation of it. It's just, oh, that must be evil and that must be suffering, but someone else could have a different opinion. It's much more natural to say that suffering is right in the world. Because listen, the world is a violent place and only the strong survive natural selection. And so, if there is no God and suffering is the way the world is, then suffering must be right. It's just the way things are. It's the way nature plays out. See, if you abandon belief in God, you still have this problem. And the problem is suffering is the way things are. And if it's the way things are and there is no God, then it must be the right way. And you just have to accept it. But once you admit there is a creator, there is someone who set up life, you can at least evaluate evil and suffering as out of place. It's out of place in this world. In the beginning of the Christian story, we see that man and woman are made in the image of God by the creator, and they're bestowed with dignity, honor, respect, and purpose. They have freedom and joy in relationship. They live in harmony with each other. No shame, no pain, no conflict. They live in harmony with God, obeying him, and having deep, deep intimacy with him. And they have a purpose in this world that's deeply satisfying, because God exists. And see, once that's our framework, God exists, then we can at least say evil and suffering are out of place. They don't fit the story. Why are they here? Evil shouldn't be here. 
Evil and suffering are not the way things are supposed to be. But if you abandon belief in God, you just have to accept evil and suffering and say it's natural. Only the strong survive. But with God, we're actually able to say evil and suffering are out of place. Well, then you need answers, right? If God exists, if he's here, why are evil and suffering here as well? If God set this thing in motion, why are evil and suffering so prevalent in our world? What is the purpose of my suffering? What's the reason? You know, I wonder the same thing. Uh, in my own life, I got Lyme disease when I was in sixth grade. And just a little boy who wanted to run around and all of a sudden found himself in deep pain because I got bit by this tick and had Lyme disease in my body. And I'm sure you have a story like that too. And some of you I've told about what's happened in our lives in the past three years where Virginia, Virginia had a tumor and how that just kind of immobilized her for almost two years. And I think of about 10 years ago, I got a text message while I was sitting in church in St. Louis from Virginia's mother saying that her cousin had been killed in a motorcycle wreck on a Sunday morning, just driving around on his motorcycle by a reckless driver who didn't even care. He didn't even care that he killed her cousin. And so as we bring these questions to God, as I bring my questions to God, and you have your own, they're deeply personal. Why, God, what are the answers? And here's the honest truth. I still don't have specific answers for my suffering. And I don't have specific answers for what you've been through either. And as Christians, what's often happened is we make up answers, right? We don't know what the answer is, so we just tell, some, tell people, well, God's not going to give you more than you can handle, which is not true. Or there's got to be a reason, and then we try and make up a reason. Here's the honest truth, though. The Bible does not give you detailed reasons for why your specific suffering has happened. I'm going to put it to you plain. The Bible does not give you a specific reason why your suffering has happened. But just because there's not a specific reason given doesn't mean a specific reason doesn't exist. Right? My children ask me questions, and the one question they ask a lot is why. And I don't always answer that question, because sometimes it's too complicated to tell them. Sometimes there's something that has to play out over a whole year or more before I can give them a full answer, and they just wouldn't understand. But just because I don't give them an answer doesn't mean an answer doesn't exist. The Bible doesn't focus on the specific answers for specific suffering. Rather, it focuses on the reality of suffering and evil. In other words, suffering evil exists. And it teaches us how to face it. It teaches us how to walk through it. First of all, in 4 verse 12, it says, listen, suffering will happen. It's part of life. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. Think about this. In our culture, we are constantly surprised by suffering. We're constantly surprised by suffering. Our culture, this moment right now in the history of the world, is one of the most pain-free, suffering-allergic, instant-pleasure societies that has ever existed anywhere in the history of the world. Throughout history, people expected to die younger, experience more pain, encounter darker, darker evil, and not get what their hearts desire. Our culture is so different than that. We're so averse to pain and suffering, and that is a hard truth to hear, but it is true. One of the first times I realized how different our society was from the rest of the world and the rest of history was when I was 
pastoring among refugees who had fled their countries around the world and moved to St. Louis. In our congregation, there were three young men from Congo and the Rwandan border. I believe there's a picture of them. Justin Simohoro, Dan Rugumbo, and Justin Sarugo. These were all young men in their late teens, early 20s, who had witnessed their own families be killed in a, in a genocide in eastern Congo and western Rwanda. And they actually had to flee their homeland on foot in order to avoid being killed themselves. And they fled all the way from the Congo-Rwandan border all the way to Kenya. And as they ran, though, they stopped to praise God, that he was still faithful and he was still God in the midst of their suffering. Then there was another man named Kualpu. Kualpu was from the oppressive country of Burma, and he was from an oppressed tribe in that country. He is on the far right there with his daughter who's holding up the peace sign. Kualpu actually had to leave his wife and children in Burma so that he could go to Malaysia and find work. He wasn't able to work in Burma, and a lot of Burmese moved to Malaysia. And his wife came to visit him after he'd been in Malaysia just a couple years. She became with child, moved back to Burma, or went back to Burma after her trip there, and Kualpu moved to the United States as a refugee. He spent the next years trying to secure a visa for his wife, his children, and his newborn baby to come to the United States, and it was a really long process. It was a five-year process. It was a five-year process, and eventually they moved to the United States, and Kwapu saw his children that he had not seen in seven years and met his brand-new five-year-old daughter, except she wasn't brand-new. And the amazing thing about Kwapu was in the midst of that trial and suffering, he, re he remained incredibly hopeful. He wasn't embittered at God. He was thankful for God's presence in his life. Do not be surprised by suffering. We are terribly surprised by suffering as if it is foreign to the world. Now, I don't, I'm not here to preach doomsday, right? Life is beautiful. Life is amazing. But life is also incredibly broken. You will face suffering. You will. It's inescapable. How would this change our mindset if we just said suffering will happen? I mean, think about this. Let me, let me play this out for a little bit. How would it affect your choice of a mate, of a spouse? What if you said, I want to marry someone who's not surprised by suffering? I want to be someone who's not surprised by suffering. It sounds kind of dark and gloomy, doesn't it? But at the same time, what's the opposite? I want to marry someone who's always surprised by suffering, who's constantly like, I can't believe this has happened to me. No, we, we naturally want to gravitate towards people who are able to endure. And what Peter's telling us is the way, the first way that you learn to endure is by not being surprised that the world is a broken place and that suffering finds you. Peter's encouraging us not to be surprised. Now, we may be offended by that, but isn't that how we experience life anyway? I mean, doesn't suffering happen? Isn't life hard? Yeah, it is hard. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And it's incredibly broken at the same time. Do not be surprised by suffering. Harvard psychologist Professor Daniel Gilbert stated that what causes deep unhappiness is not necessarily the suffering you encounter, but the uncertainty about the suffering. So uncertainty about suffering tends to make people incredibly unhappy. He refers to a study where one group of people are told, you're going to experience pain and discomfort. And then another group of people were told, you might experience pain and discomfort, and you don't know when. 
Guess which group was unhappier? The uncertain group. The group that was told you're going to experience it ended up being more happy. They ended up being more happy. Daniel Gilbert summarized and said, an uncertain future leaves us stranded in an unhappy present with nothing to do but wait. And maybe that's why Peter is telling us, don't be surprised. Suffering will happen. Get ready. Get ready for it. If you hear those stories and you think about that study and you think about our society and cultures, it, it, it does prep you. But you also might feel a little guilty, like, oh man, we don't suffer as much as other people. You may have a little bit more perspective, and, and that's good. Not being surprised by suffering prepares you for suffering, but it doesn't give you the power to walk through it. It doesn't give you the power to walk through suffering. The power to walk through suffering is not just being aware that it happens, but knowing that there's purpose in the midst of suffering. God has a purpose in the midst of suffering. It's not pointless. It's not pointless. In verses 1, 6 through 7, Peter says this, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter, twice in the verses we looked at, he talks about this fire that trials and hardships and suffering are a fire. And a fire purifies. He wants us to think about metals that are impure. Metals where maybe it's like gold, but the gold is mixed with something else. And that fire comes in and first of all, it exposes what's there. It's gold and something that shouldn't be there. It's something pure and something impure. But then the fire also refines the gold. It burns off, it smelts away what shouldn't be there. And suffering is like that fire. It exposes what's really there, but then it burns off what shouldn't be there. Most people who go through suffering say something like this, I would never go through that again. That's the fire. But then they also say, I'm so glad how it changed me. That's the refining. I would never go through that again, but I'm so glad how it changed me. And I think of that season in our family where we went through with Virginia's tumor and her chronic pain, and it, it was certainly very difficult for her, and it was challenging for me because I constantly wondered, how am I going to help my wife? How am I going to change this? And the answer is, you can't. There's nothing you can do to fix it. I want to fix it. I can't fix it. Every time I asked her, how are you feeling? I, I'm in pain. There was nothing that the doctors do, could do until it was the right time to remove it. We just had to wait and wait and wait. And I would never go through that again. But I'm so glad for how it changed me. Because now, when I hear people say they're in chronic pain, there's something that happens inside of me. Compassion. Like before that, you could have said, John, so-and-so's in chronic pain. And I would have said, that's really hard. Let me pray for you. And then I would have forgotten about it. But now because I've experienced that, something different happens inside of me where I really resonate with what they've gone through and I care on a level that I did not care before because that suffering has refined me. It has changed me on the inside. It has made me a more compassionate person. I do not want to go through it again, but I'm so thankful that I did. I'm so thankful that I did. Suffering can make us more compassionate people. 
but it even goes deeper than that. What Peter's really getting at is something more profound, even more profound about the purpose of suffering. Rather than suffering giving us a reason to distance ourselves from God and weaken our belief in him, suffering is the means God uses to draw us closer to him and strengthen our loyalty to him. Suffering shows us our deepest loyalties. A friend of mine, Pastor Brad Schmidt, put it this way, suffering shows you what you're really loyal to and what you're really made of. Suffering makes you choose. It forces your hand. In suffering, you are exposed to what you are really living for. You're exposed to what you're really living for. If you're no longer comfortable and you say, I can't live without comfort, you find that your deepest loyalty is to comfort. If in suffering, you lose all your power and you say, I can't live life if I'm not powerful or I don't think I'm powerful, well, then the center of your life is really your sense of being powerful. The suffering is taking away my pleasure and I I can't live my life with uninterrupted pleasure. Uh, Well, your reason for existing is a quick fix, an amusement, and being entertained. Suffering exposes what our functional God is. Now, you might not believe in God, but suffering exposes the God that you functionally believe in, whether it be comfort or pleasure or power and control. And and here's the amazing thing, is in suffering, all the other gods fall away. Because if you're in suffering because you're uncomfortable, well, comfort, your God of comfort has left you. If in the midst of suffering, you've lost power, it's because your God of power has left you. If you no longer experience pleasure, it's because your God of pleasure has left you. But there's one true God who does not leave in the midst of suffering. In Hebrews 13, 5, the author writes that God says to us, I will never leave you or abandon you. In the midst of our suffering, the one true God does not leave. He is present. And if you are a Christian, God promises that he will not leave you no matter what you go through. Though you go through the fire you will not be burned. I am with you. And not only that, he is using suffering to make you more into the image of his son, Jesus. He is trying to smelt away those other gods and make you more like himself. I heard a story about a pastor who had a conversation with a silversmith. A silversmith is one who you know, works with silver and purifies it. And the pastor asked the silversmith, how do you know when the silver is pure enough? Like, How long does it have to be in the fire? And then when do you know when it's gone through the fire enough and it's pure? And the silversmith said, when I can see my face reflected in the silver, then I know it's pure. And the pastor went and reflected about that and said, you know, that's that's really what God does in us. We go through things and God uses it so that he can see his reflection in us. He burns away the other gods so that we become more like Jesus Christ. See, in Jesus, suffering is not pointless. There is a purpose to it. Everything you encounter is making you into something more beautiful, the image of Christ. It is making you like Jesus himself and burning off the impure and burning away the shallow faith and the trust in God that's only based on mood swings and the the love that's only based on how you feel. It's burning away your loyalty to self-preservation 
Suffering has the purpose of making you into the image of Jesus, that God might be able to see his reflection in you. Suffering has a purpose. Now, I realize some of you say, that's great, but how dare God? How dare God use me like a pawn on a chessboard when I'm here in the midst of suffering? He's up there where there's no sin and no brokenness. How dare he? How dare he put me through suffering here and him stay away from suffering there? But that's just it. The key, the key to walking through suffering is not just knowing that God has a purpose for it, but that God himself entered into it. That God himself entered into the suffering. In the person of Jesus, God came near to suffering and entered in suffering and subjected himself to suffering. Peter writes in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. Jesus was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Jesus Christ was the man who was fully man and fully God. He, he left the comfort and beauty and peace of the heavenly realm and entered into this realm, not as a king, but as a carpenter, not as someone who was removed from the pain, but as someone who embraced the suffering. He was a refugee. He wasn't celebrated. He was shunned. And though he was sinless, he had never caused suffering. He had never done evil. Jesus Christ entered into the suffering of humanity at the hands of evil men by dying on the cross. Peter tells us that in the death, in Jesus' death on the cross, God is coming near to the suffering of the world. But not just coming near to the suffering of the world, he's entering it. But not just entering it, he is subjecting himself to suffering. Why? Why did Jesus subject himself to suffering? Peter tells us, for you and me, that he might bring you to God, that Jesus Christ as the righteous one who is just and has every right to judge your and my sin actually receives the judgment we deserve for our sin. He is publicly shamed, unjustly judged by man. He's physically tortured, mocked, and then hung to die on a cross. And in that, he is taking on the suffering and subjecting himself to the suffering that you and I deserve for our rebellion against God in order that we might get the joy and love from God that Jesus himself deserves. Jesus sub subjected himself to suffering with you in mind. With you in mind. Therefore, when you experience suffering, it can't be because God doesn't care. It can't be because he wants to stay far away because Jesus came near and subjected himself to suffering himself. Listen, when you experience suffering, it can't even be because Jesus or God is judging you. Because if you're a Christian, the judgment you deserve has been placed on Jesus instead of on you. Is God good? Yes. He must be because he saw our suffering and he saw the evil of the world and he came near to us and entered into the suffering on our behalf and he didn't have to. God is good. But he's also powerful because in the cross and resurrection, he defeats sin. He defeats death. He defeats evil and suffering. 
And because he defeats it, evil and suffering will not last. Evil and suffering are not the final word. Peter writes, because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. Kept in heaven for you, you are being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. The cross was Jesus subjecting himself to the suffering of the world. The resurrection was Jesus defeating death and defeating sin and having victory over suffering. And it is God's first move in restoring the whole world to new life with his power. And that power is now at work in us. If you know Jesus Christ, that power is at work in us, even as you live in a world full of suffering and pain. And one day, Jesus will return. The one who has suffered but defeated death, he will return and he will banish evil and suffering forever. There will be no more crying or suffering or pain. God the Father will wipe every tear from your eye. And if you are a follower of Jesus, that is the living hope that you have. The whole point of him coming back is to fix what's broken and to banish what's painful and to eradicate all evil and to restore all broken things. And that's the guarantee that the resurrection gives us. The resurrection is God's first move in that restoration process. The evil that Jesus encountered did not win. Jesus wins. Yes. The suffering that Jesus yes. underwent killed him, but it did not keep him in the grave. And now Jesus is at the right hand of the Father waiting to come back and restore all things. And when he returns, he's not going to whisk you away to, to some other realm that you're unfamiliar with. He's coming to this earth to restore and renew this broken world. Banish pain from it forever and make it the way that it was always intended to be. God is good because he entered into suffering, but God is powerful because he is going to banish suffering forever. And his power is on display right now in you because he's preserving you. He's helping you put one foot in front of the other, taking a step, a step every day. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed. And that's why Peter can encourage us to persevere in the midst of suffering, but even more than that, to find joy in the midst of suffering. God tells us not to be surprised by suffering. It will come. He tells us that suffering has a purpose and that he even enters into suffering on our behalf. But then he gives us the certainty that the suffering is not the end of the story. Rather, the alleviation of suffering is the end of the story. That is the last chapter. What is lost is not the final word. The restoration of what is lost is the final word. And though we walk through terrible trials and pain now, we have certainty that it will not last. Your suffering has an expiration date on it. And that certainty gives you hope whatever you're walking through right now. And that hope can give you joy even as you walk 
through suffering. Not only that, but in a weird way, the fact that we've been through so much hardship is going to make the restoration that much sweeter. Several years ago, we took my kids down to the end of Hallandale Beach Boulevard. There's a little, there's a little park down there right on the beach. I think it's called South City uh, Park. And it's an amazing little park. I love it because there is a circle fence around it. And you can kind of just stand in there and your kids are contained. I have three children. I can't contain my children, so I need help from the fence. And we're in there, we're playing. And my three children are there. And all of a sudden I look around and one of my children is gone. And I do the dad thing. I like stand up and I get the scowl like this. And I do the quick spin to see where she's at. I don't, I don't see her. Now there's space uh, between the fence and like the beach. So I have a good view for like 50 yards. She's nowhere to be found. So I do the slow spin. I start scanning like this and I'm looking near and far. She's nowhere. Okay. When your child is missing, 10 seconds feels like 10 minutes. So I quickly walk over to my wife. Do you see her? No. Okay, I'm gonna go to the parking lot. I run to the parking lot. I run through the parking lot. She's not there. I run to the bathrooms. She's not there. She was missing for at least a couple of minutes, which feels like a couple of hours when you're in the middle of it. So I decide I've gotta to go to the beach. I've gotta run down and sprint to the beach. So I run down the path and as I'm almost to the beach, there walks my daughter up with this nice family who looks at me and goes, is this your kid? And I'm going, yes, it is my kid. I'm out of breath and I'm angry because she's disappeared on me. She thought we had gone down to the beach and she went down there to look for us. I don't know why we were standing right next to her. And I embrace her and my heart is pounding and I'm relieved because she's been restored to me. She's been restored to me. She had wandered off and those three minutes were absolutely awful. They felt like three days, but that restoration was sweet because I had went through the separation. If I had only known that she was definitely going to be restored to me, if I had only known that she was definitely going to be restored to me and that everything was gonna be okay, that short time of tension wouldn't have ruined everything for me. I wouldn't have panicked. I wouldn't have lived in that, in that uncertainty. I wouldn't have let those three minutes ruin the experience. Friends, your suffering is real. It is real. But the suffering you're going through is not the final word. As you walk through suffering, he is preserving you because he is good. And by his power, he will preserve you in the midst of it. And when Jesus returns, he will restore all things. And if you can live now with that perspective, it will change how you live in this short, brief life that we have here on this earth. Death will be swallowed up in victory. Suffering is not the final word. Evil will be banished forever. Therefore, as we live in this brief time on earth, let's live with hope. Let's live with hope in the future and joyfully trust God in the present. That's what Peter calls us to. 419, he says this, so then let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Do not let the experience of suffering push you away from God. Rather, let it bring you into God. Let it bring you into God with fresh faith and trust because God exists. And he is good and 
he is powerful. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that so much of what we experience on this earth has been experienced tenfold by you. We're so thankful that we have a God who has come near and entered in and subjected himself to what we have gone through. Therefore, we can trust you. Therefore, we can come to you with our pain and you understand. Therefore, we have a high priest who has gone through everything that we've gone through. But Jesus, we pray that you would help us to be strong in the midst of our weakness, to trust you in the midst of the suffering, to deepen our faith in you in the midst of the pain. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us today. And all God's people said, amen.